What are they? How do they benefit us? Which ones are out there? And we'll talk about the things that we've tried so far, which I can't say it's a ton, but it's enough to get a good grasp on, on what to look for. Were you actually taking it? Or were you trying to feed me? Oh, limes? I figured while you were doing that, I'd just do one, and you could either you can do one or the other, or you okay. could just get rid of them both and just go eight, and that'd be <laughs> eight episodes. Episode eight, and that's it. That's <laughs> Don't say anything else. <laughs> too uh. sim? Oh, not too sim. That is the question. What is nobler in the mind of the sky? Welcome back to the Aviation RC New Podcast. You found us. My name is Joe. And I'm Matt. We're here to be with you along your journey and to share our experiences in RC Aviation. If you have any questions, thoughts, or want to share a flight story, hit us up at aviationrcnoob at gmail.com. Now, buckle in. Let's take off. Here we are, Matthew, with episode eight. I believe this time we're talking about simulators, correct? Yep, simulators. We made it. I don't know. It made it sound like there's a lot of, like a long path to get there. No, simulators, we're here. Um, yeah, let's talk about them. Okay, well, before we get into simulators, uh, per our norm, let's talk about what we've been doing in uh, the last two weeks since we uh, had recorded. Okay, great. Um, do you want to start? I know you've had a pretty busy go. Um, I I know mine was interesting, but I feel like it's old hat compared to where you're at. Uh, why don't you, do you want me to start? Yeah, why don't you go ahead and um, just because you're you're also first in the notes, and then oh. I'll go uh, real quick. Did we we flew together before last episode? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, um, right. Last episode, I was working on the Spitfire. I was most of the way through. I I basically was chugging through a kit uh, awful quick. And it was right before my kids were coming back for the summer. And, of course, school's starting at that time of year. <clears throat> and so we were trying to figure all that out. Um, and that's kind of where we left off. And you had uh, flown your simple soar. And I think something... You were able to fly it for a little while, but something went wrong and you had to repair it. That's I right. I think you were... Either that or you were still on the repair time from when we simmed together or not simmed um, when we flew together, <clears throat> you had busted the pod, but I'm pretty sure you went out, you went out pretty quickly, you went out like the next week and, and flew. And I think that something happened and uh, you just had to fix it. I think the servo went and you had to fix it. Mm -hmm. So why don't we start with yours and then we'll get into mine. Okay, great. Um, well, mine's relatively easy. Um, I was, uh, I finished the Spitfire and I went out to give it a maiden um, I wanted to, um, well, I wanted to do it before the kids came back because that tends to be the time where I can just go and be footloose and fancy free. I don't have to worry if the kids are, I don't know, being too loud for people who are flying or 
whatnot. So I went out ahead of time before they showed up, and I was in the middle of cleaning my house like a whirlwind, and um, I went out really quick. With that, uh, I did the main flight, put the throttle up to three quarters, uh, checked my crap, which uh, it's, I think is an official term. It's basically just making sure the ailerons are going the right way, the elevator up is up and down is down. Um, I think flight test calls it the high five method, where when you pull back the stick, um, when you pull back the stick, it uh, the surface comes up to match it, basically, mm. except for the rudder. Um, so I, I checked that. I put up the three quarter throttle, and I let it go. It was flying on a thirteen hundred uh, milliamp hour four cell battery on the uh, flight test radial engine with a nine by six E prop from uh, APC. I can't remember what uh, manufacturer. They're called APC. I know that stands for something, and I can't remember what uh, what it is. But <clears throat> anyway, that's what I was flying, um, and those are the components. I was using regular, you know, uh, blue 9-gram servos, nothing fancy uh, there. And I'll tell you what, it went right out of my hands, and it it, it, I think it, it went real low for a second. I, I was able to get back on the sticks with enough time to kind of pull it pull it up out uh, from hitting the ground. But once I had done that and I did a couple clicks of trim, it really didn't need a whole ton. Uh, but once I, uh, you know, in short order, I trimmed it out. I'll tell you what, it I flew it around for the next five and a half or eight minutes or something like that. And it was just... Um, I know that's a big difference, but I can't remember because I flew it a couple times. Mm -hmm. One time was short, one time felt pretty long. Um, and oh, man, I flew like a kitten. It was great. Uh, at like, and it flew at about 30% throttle. You could kick it way back, and it just kind of putted across the sky. And it was real gentle on the sticks. Like, you, you kind of had to use some serious throws to kind of get it to go places and of course because it's not going very fast um, mm -hmm. which is great so but you know because it's 4s and it's on a pretty good motor and a great biting prop when i started bringing it up to i brought it so that about 60 percent percent throttle would be a good flying speed and i trimmed it out there um, but i'll tell you what when i cranked it up to full that thing i was doing acrobatic s's through the sky um really tight loops i mean we're talking really tight loops um and I ended up going back out with my kids um, about a week later with uh, 2,200 three-cell batteries, um, just basically a little bit less power, um, and it still performed pretty much the same. Where it was real gentle on the sticks, it got uh, really tight uh, turns when it was going fast. Um, one of the guys was saying, "He's like, man, you, you should. Are those high th high throws?" <clears throat> and I told him, I said, "No." Nah, I mean, I have a rate set for, you know, 170 and 50. So that's like a high, medium, and low rate. So basically reduces mm -hmm. the total throws um, as as I want. And that way I can select it uh, depending on either the speed I'm going or the plane I'm flying. Um, it's it's pretty versatile. So I took that. I told him, I said, oh, man, I'm on my, my low throws. So that's like 50% of, you know, the throws I could have. And I said, I think that's pretty pretty much where it's supposed to be. And he goes, yeah, you might want to tone that down even more, man, especially with this plane. Because <laughs> that that was that was kicking around, man. You, I'm surprised the wings didn't fall. I said, you know, me too. <laughs> 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 I 
I mean, it. I mean, it snapped left and right. Now I've I've got a video on my YouTube, so if anybody wanted to check it out, they can. Um, but it was uh, it, it was neat. It was just real fun to have it just putter across the sky and take it easy, and you could relax. And oh, I mean, what a great trainer because it was responsive. Yet it didn't have to be crazy. But if you wanted it to be, it could be fast. It could be agile. You could try all the maneuvers you wanted to. You know, it's it's a fighter plane, and it shows. But Flight Test did a really good job at making its um, slower speed tendencies real gentle. Um, and this is the original Spitfire. This is not the Master Series. While while I'm certain to be making that soon, uh, I wanted to see what the differences were. And mm -hmm. if you have uh, an interest in Flight Test planes and you haven't built this and you're relatively new to flying, I, I hesitated to build it because I thought it's a warbird. Everybody says warbirds are really dangerous because, again, they're agile. They're, they're warbirds. Um, they're designed for acrobatics and for dogfighting and things like that. So this, this is worth it. This is worth it. Go build it. Uh, you won't regret it. You will be very happy about it. Now, if um, I'm remembering the design of that plane correctly, because I, I looked up the build video on it, and one of the things they commented mm -hmm. on was that, that that particular wing style for that plane had real bad uh, drop tendencies on the wings as it got to lower speeds. But if I'm remembering the build correctly, that it was you know, a regular wing out to the last little bit, at which point, uh, say, the underside of the wing went away and it turned into a uh, a heavy under camber at the wing tips. Was this, Am I remembering exactly. that plane correctly? Exactly. You know, it's so it's elliptical in shape still, just like the so your your plan form and the silhouette you're going to see in the sky is just like a Spitfire, just like every Spitfire you've ever seen. Um, however, the the giant undercamber and it's it's a pretty good portion of the wing is undercambered, much like the very slow, easy, gentle flyers have. Um, yeah, so they they left that part open because. Uh, because of that, it really helps out with the tip stall tendencies. And a tip stall is basically saying that when it starts to stall, the end of the wing stalls first, which means as it's going down, um, rather than have the whole plane kind of uh, slow and then drop down to gain some speed, it will have one wing or the other stall first, in which case then you're going to have like a rolling action with that dip. And of course, because it's stalling, there's almost no control. Um, so it's you know, for a pilot who's not ready for it, it especially if you're not high enough to recover, mm -hmm. it's really dangerous. Um, so you know, the you, as a beginning plane, you want to get rid of that. Um, I think the only thing I did to modify that plane was I put a barbecue skewer in the groove, in one of the grooves for the the top bend um, of the wing to extend all the way out to the wingtip because I know me and I know that sometimes when I land, I don't land level and I catch a wingtip <laughs> and it starts to cartwheel. And I also know that on the undercamber parts, at least the planes I've built. And oftentimes when I do that, I'm doing kind of a rolled wing and it's not this kind of cut groove kind of faceted style. And because I do it that way, I'm pulling the paper off the underside of the wing, which makes it a lot weaker structurally. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of cartwheel will destroy the wings that I build when I'm doing it that way. <clears throat> uh, flight test leaves the paper on so that it's a lot stiffer, but I just wanted to be sure. 
because um, it looked like a great plane. It's a beautiful plane. And everybody said it would fly great. So if, if it lived up to its its hype, which it did, um, I'm going to love that. And that's one of those things. Like, I didn't want to go out to the field and do something dumb, have a cartwheel and go, oh, well, I guess that goes, there There was a plane. Um, and by putting the barbecue skewer in there, I've, I've helped... Uh, help to sure it's going to take a more serious crash than a, a typical cartwheel to to make it unflyable. Well, good. Um, I also dusted off the Vigan in that second group of out, going out with a Spitfire. I have a, a Vigan from a long time ago. I busted the nose, and David Vindenstall, who designed that plane, designed it with a whole nose section that you could replace. And as a matter of fact, when they were putting it out, they would sell kits of just the nose section so um so what i did is i end up making a a handful of those because if you're going to nose it in it's going to nose in and you're going to just toss the front end but the rest of the plane will be fine you put a new nose down and away you go um so uh so i put a new nose on finally cut one out and did that and then i started flying it around now it has a 64 millimeter edf which is uh the lower recommended power uh group on it it's i think five blades or six blades i don't remember the motor specs but that's not super important i used a three cell 2200 because i knew it bounced really well with the 2200 right at the front uh be right before where the nose section gets taped on or gets attached um, and so I, you know, I, I put up the full throttle and threw it and I'll tell you what it, it was like the X 29, except it had just enough to actually start gaining some altitude, but, and I had to kind of level it out. So it gets a little bit more speed. And then of course it would start to like sink back down. So I'd kind of have to, I'd kind of almost have to like bring it up and then bring it down to like get some speed and then bring it up a little bit more and then start to <laughs> slowly gain altitude. And, and I had to really baby it up into the sky, but it flew like it had before, which that plane is on its slow end is a, is a really good, it's a great beginner EDF. Um, and I think if I had a four cell available and I'd flown it on a four cell, that thing would have rocked around the sky and, and been a lot of fun. Um, and uh, so uh, that's another one of those planes where, like, if you that's something that interests you, go build it. That's the one to build. I mean, you can build a lot of others, and they'll, they'll probably be fun. Um, but that one will help you get your feet wet without um, – it's designed to be forgiving in a crash in that it's easy to repair and put back up. The EDF is enclosed in the fuse, so it's very unlikely to get damaged unless you belly land it hard. Um and even still probably not. It's uh, I think the only thing I've done to that is I put a wooden stick. I happen to have like small wooden sticks we're making kites out of, and I just kind of embedded it into the wing because the the wing is purely a single foam plate. That's it. And so to me, I'm like that's not going to last if I don't <laughs> support it. Yeah. Uh, so basically, I I you know I cut out a little section to put the thing in. I glued it in, and and now it's like extra strong. So. Um, I think uh, if I had brought a four cell, I would really would have enjoyed the Vigan, but it was nice to see it back in the air and have it ready to, for flying. Um, and then there's two more things, kind of with the simming. Um, I have uh, my boys are back, and I 
keep talking to them. I said, we have a couple kits, like if you want to get going. But I said, I'd like you to spend a little bit of time. You spend all this time video gaming. Take a little bit of time with the sim and get used to correcting a plane flying through the sky with the sim and see if you can fly it. And then if you're doing pretty well with that, see if you can land it on a pretty consistent basis. And my oldest has already caught on pretty well. Not surprised. Uh, young kids pick up on things pretty quick. My yeah. old, uh, my youngest still likes to just take off just so he can crash into the ground. So um, he's be a little while on him yet. <laughs> before he gets on the actual sticks out out in the field, but <laughs> but I'm not surprised. But he's having a fun time with it. He's like, hey, check it out, and he's like, and yeah. it takes off. He's like, check it out, Dad, and he rolls it and tanks it right in. And Look I'm at like, how straight down I can get it before it hits the ground. <laughs> I know. Like, uh, are you having fun? He's like, yeah. I'm like, all right. Well, if we ever go out to the field, you're not touching my plane yet. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, whatever. Um, he's like, well, I wouldn't do that to your planes, dad. And I'm like, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it, but, but (laughs) I'm glad you're getting interested in it. And he said, yeah. Um, so that's, that's pretty good. I'm excited about that. Uh, I'm re- actually, I'm very excited because I can't wait for us to all go out to the field, each with a little something to fly around and have mm. fun with and just kind of cheer each other on and support each other as we go. Um, and speaking of that, um, we have a channel in our Discord chat uh, where we kind of put um, a really small community so far. Um, and we had a handful of people kind of put together like a build party. Kind of like when Joe and I get together, we kind of just say, hey, we're, we're thinking about building tonight. If anybody's on, just just uh, you know, reach out and then we'll see if we can get you in like a video chat and we'll just all just build and chat about planes or whatever else. Um, and so we were kind of doing the same thing that night with, uh, I know Joe, you were trying to get on. I think you had big internet issues. Uh, yeah. we, had a, we had a couple other guys. Um, I'll call the usual culprits. Um, and then, uh, we had a guy from Israel and that was a real treat. So he works, uh, like a overnight job. Um, so his, he was at the end of his day at eight in the morning, his time, it was like one o'clock or two o'clock my time. It was 11 o'clock where these other guys were on the West coast of America. Uh, you know, Joe and I are on the East coast. And so he, and he was just kind of sitting at the field. He's like, I'm here. And I saw you guys called in, like, let me see if I could call back. And so he he got on the chat, and we just started talking for a little bit. And then we're like, dude, are you at the flying field? He's like, yeah, yeah, I was, I was thinking about flying. I'm like, well, what the heck are you waiting for, man? Get your plane out. Let's let's watch you fly. This is going to be great. Because, you know, we're, we're looking, like, it's the middle of the night. You know, it's late. We're not going to fly anything. We're not going to fly until tomorrow. We're still working on the, the planes we want to do that with. And he's like, are you sure? I'm like... And we're all like with a resounding, heck yeah, like what are you thinking? And so he pulled out his planes and he uh, he threw them in here. He had like an Edge uh, 450 or Edge 540, whatever the FT, the FT Edge. Uh, he had a Bloody Baron and he had um, he had a couple other things. Um, I can't really remember. But anyway, he had a handful of planes. He, he got them all together and he just flew them around. He, he flew great. Uh, he didn't crash one of them, which, you know, we were pretty amazed with. He was more amazed than we were. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> he did a great, and, you know, he was telling us, he's like, you know what, I was really bummed because, like, I'm out at the field, and, like, I was supposed to meet up with somebody, and they bailed on me, and that really sucks because I was excited about that. And then 
here are, here it turns out there's these people practically on the other side of the world who can sit here with me and my phone and we can chat and fly together as if we're hanging out at the field. You know, we're ragging on them and like, come on, go lower, you know, that kind of stuff, you know. Right. And it was just fun. You know, we just we just had a, a real good time. So if you ever have a handful of people that you know might be totally different spots in the world, um, but you know uh, they might be flying or something, or you're about to go to the field, you just say, hey, man, I'm about to go fly something. Uh, if you want me to, I could put my phone out and you could – you could join me, and if they're up for it, like it'll be a lot more fun than you think. Well, good. I'm glad you guys had a good time with that. I hate that I couldn't uh, get a stable connection that night, but the next day I went oh, and man. bought a new router. <laughs> so I'm yeah, I, I remember. Uh, yeah, and I'm I'm glad. Uh, I'm really sad that you couldn't join us because that would have been uh, even more fun. For sure. Although you would have been up till the wee hours of the morning. It was probably somewhere around three o'clock my time um, mm. when we were kind of all finished. But I don't know. As tough as that might have been the next day, it was worth it. It was a good time. Well, good. When you, But you, Joe, you finally got your, you took that servo out, right? Right. So. You're saying that you had troubles with your servo. Right. Uh, so as I recall. Uh, the last thing we talked about on the last episode, as far as my glider went, was that you and I had gone and had a nice day flying, and had made had made my simple soar, and had had some mild success with it, even though it tanked and ultimately ended up, you know, in the dirt. Um, so I made uh I rebuilt the power pod and made the power pod longer. So that we didn't have to do the uh, rubber banding of an extra battery on the front. Because uh, mm-hmm. that rubber band uh, ultimately guillotined the power pod. Which is fine. Happens. Yeah. Uh, well, and th- you know what? Part of that was because I double twisted the rubber band around. Yeah. And I-, I pulled it real tight. It's no big deal. Uh, to get the balance of the plane right anyway, I need to build an extended power pod without... That, that way I wouldn't have double battery mass uh, on there. Yep. You know, so rebuilt the power pod, made it longer, uh, got the CG right, and took it out. Um, that was the following Saturday. So actually the day that uh, our last episode released was the day that I was out there uh, putting a mm-hmm. second, second flight on the Simple Soar. Yeah. And... I got some good flight time out of it. It took off. It flew. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't giving me some of the same problems that I was having with the first flight. Uh, mm-hmm. It. What I found out since then, and I've talked to you about it, is I was running. I was flying that simple soar on the same profile that I had set up for the old fogey. Which is fine, right? You know, the servos were still moving in the correct directions. They were all, you know, what I wanted. The mm-hmm. throws were about what I needed. Right. Everything was good. And they're both, they're both three channel planes too. So the the functions should be almost identical. Right. It everything was fine, except that when I went out the second time, I realized when I looked down at the controller, I said, "Oh, 
I had centered all my control surfaces as close as I could get them when it was sitting on the bench, what I thought was center. But the moment I turned the transmitter on, I looked down, oh, look at that. I've still got fogey trims in here where <laughs> it was rudder way to the left and a bit of aileron oh, up. No. And I'm like, oh, man, no or elevator up. Uh -oh. So uh centered those out before I launched it. And it it was an interesting flight. Um we had some we may have had a storm that morning. I ended up having a storm uh as I was on the drive back home and it was a nice hot day and there were I what I can only assume to be uh substantial updrafts, which would be great for gliding. Uh but there also seemed to be some substantial downdrafts. So Well, with one comes the other, right? Yeah, I just didn't expect them to be like the columns to be immediately side by side of each other. Uh such that <laughs> such that I got up this there a little where bit. This is a sim. Say again. We'll, we'll talk about gliding in the simulator and how if you had a chance to glide in in real flight um with the thermal column uh, indicators on, you would see, oh yeah, they're right there. And and uh, as as uh, you have found out, and as anybody who's taken the glider out and managed to catch a couple thermals, you'll realize that it's not too far before you find a column of downdraft air, too. And I think that's what, I'm, what I was experiencing. I'm going to have to buy one of the little dongles to get my uh, transmitter to communicate so I can fly on the PC. But, yeah, I'd, mm -hmm. I'd hidden up what I assume was an updraft because... Like the only time I've flown your glider was the previous week, and it was not. We we kind of felt some what could have been updrafts, but nothing like what I saw that day. Because I was flying along, and all right of a sudden there. she just went nose almost straight up, and I couldn't hardly get mm -hmm. the nose to come down. And then when I finally like somebody gave her an uppercut, right? Yeah, and then I mean she was just she was gone. She was up there. And then once I managed to recover and get that nose back down, finally, she'd fly kind of level for a few seconds. And then all of a sudden, it looked like somebody dropped a rock on her nose because she just straight down she went. Um, yeah, I always qualify that. Like you were, so basically, you recovered just as you were kind of hitting the outside edge of the air column um, and about to hit the downdraft section. And of course, when you did, it's like, I, I, I always look at it and I was, it's like somebody like swatted, swatted the nose of my plane real hard, you mm -hmm. know, down like, wow, no, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, I want to fly, you know, <laughs> and those columns <laughs> will come all the way to the ground. Apparently, uh, I did not let it go all the way to the ground, right. but there was a couple times I like, is she actually, did I make her nose heavy by accident? Are my trims mm -hmm. way off? Like, is she, did she stall? Let me see if I leave it at, say, three-quarter throttle. And, she, you know, I'm what I'm, I'm in what I am assuming is a downdraft. If it's not a downdraft, will she eventually level out because she's picked up enough speed to level off? Right. And, nah. You know, about the time I get to the top of the trees, I had to full new, you know, full back on the stick to yeah. to pull her out of the dive. That column seemed to come all the way down. Um, so yeah. I fought, I fought that for a while, enjoyed it, but 
not the not the flight that I was really after. And then I had I got you wanted her, something a little bit more relaxing. Yeah, I got her back up to a decent height, and all of a sudden she just pulled hard to the left, uh, which being a rudder turn and the polydihedrals in the wings off, she just started cutting a left hand turn. And no matter what I was doing with my left, right, she was not doing anything but that. Um, yeah, and, that's not right. <laughs> yeah, that's not right at all. And, you know, pulling hard nose back or nose up, trying to get her to level off. And it was, it was she was in a tight enough turn that I could not get her level, like even to turn level, obviously, because. Once you throw a rudder mm-hmm. into the mix, it's shoving that nose down anyway a bit. And it ended up being that it was on the other side of the uh, in the last episode, though, remember we talked about, yeah, there was like front 40 of the school, and there was this ditch that ran through. Uh, so it ended up being on the far side of that. Um, and there was, there was some trees growing. So she was cutting these, you know, medium to large size circles just, you know, coming down. And she just happened to come down in the middle of the trees that were out there. They, those trees are spaced decently far apart, but I was worried are. I was going to, you know, bite into a tree. And you, you can definitely um, fly like almost slalom through them, although that'd be kind of hard. Be a pretty good challenge, but um, they're spaced far enough where that if you had like a mini arrow or something like that, uh, something pretty agile, you could probably slalom in between them and have a good time with that. Without yeah. worrying too much about getting completely stuck in the canopies. Yeah, they, they they are separate entities as far as trees go. They're not on top of each other. There's root, but it, mm-hmm. you know, kept circling and circling. Unfortunately, it came down right in the middle of, you know, a group of them. And uh, nothing I was doing on the sticks was going to recover her from it. So I kept the throttle up uh, enough that I had... Uh, wind blowing over the control surfaces so I could still control her uh, coming down and then probably about eight foot off the ground. Uh, of course, I didn't want a powered flight straight to the grass. So about eight foot off the ground, I throttled back to zero. And once the once the uh, prop wash fell off the, the control surfaces, that rudder no longer had mm-hmm. the, the, the wind blowing past it to keep her in a turn. So she ended up straightening out and then the polydihedral of the wing shape took over as she leveled out just before she hit the ground. She was still a touch wing down uh from the turn and <laughs> right. so that that bottom of that wing did kinda catch first, which didn't damage it, just enough that it spun the plane on when it landed. Started the walk out there and yeah. as I was walking over I could hear uh a servo steady going. Uh, once I got started uh-huh. getting kind of close, and then I got over there, like it was cutting in and out and in and out, you know, pulled mm-hmm. the wing off and got into the guts, and there's a servo in there just whirring like crazy and touched plastic casing, and yep, that's hot. So, yeah, um, that's along with that. I mean, it happens. It basically is one of the gears probably stripped uh, for whatever reason, and once it did, uh, the motor couldn't get to the stop point. Uh, that's in the servo to be able to tell it, okay, we're good. That's enough. Um, or go back to the neutral. And so it kept trying to go back to the neutral. So, 
Right. It was it was certainly trying to get back to, but it just like you say, the the gears had seized, something went wrong, um, uh, and the rudder was stuck in the left position. So Yeah. Uh I mean they're you know, they're little tiny I mean like microscopic nylon gears. You can only expect so much out of them. I mean, if you're looking for something to be a little bit more reliable as far as the gears are concerned, you can certainly, um, the metal gears have come down in price significantly. And while the motor doesn't have a lot of extra torque, the metal gears, uh, the teeth will hold and you'll have, you're far less likely to have the issue you had Mm -hmm. um, with those. Although they may just not work, kind of like any other servo. It seems like when they're at that kind of level of cost, where they're a buck or two or maybe maybe two and a half, um, you know, you're you're going to get a general failure rate. I think I found uh, between eight and nine out of ten uh, are good, and then maybe one or two are not going to be. So when you yeah. purchase, factor that in. Assume you're going to find a bunch, like a couple out of every ten that may not work. And if you get better than that, be happy. Yeah, and it was fine. Like it was disappointing because mm-hmm. the day was done, but I needed to get on home anyway. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. you still had so, a full day of flying, which was good. Yeah, well, I had a few minutes of flying, but because <laughs> again, this was that the week after you and I had gone flying. But that mm-hmm. week, you know, over that over the the nights that week, uh, one of those nights, I ended up cutting out the uh, dead servo, popping a new servo in. And so today's Tuesday, this past Saturday, I took her out flying again, and that um, I had one well, decent, yeah, I had one decent kind of flight uh, where I was still trying to get the trip, get her trimmed out and figured out, and uh, I tried to do a landing where I was just going to bring her in, land on the asphalt. Oh, it rained that day, so I was trying for an asphalt landing to yeah. not wet the plane um ended up setting her down and the only hard. asphalt out there now were you along the tree line like we were before yes or is it a totally different yep. place nope right up oh, against gosh. that tree so line. you were trying to land you were, you were trying to land on the only asphalt which is like adjacent to a giant 80 foot tree line or 60 foot tree line mm-hmm. um like 60 foot tall trees all lining the entire length of this asphalt piece yeah and which, this oh, section was not a feet. straight shot it was no there you know it was a bit of a curvy road so there was no straight approach to come in on this thing but oh, no <laughs> yeah so i'll set her down kind of uh i there's a bit of damage on the motor from where i hit the asphalt it was fine i picked her up and she she acted like maybe she was tail heavy um like I said, maybe mm-hmm. maybe she is tail heavy. Like the CG was perfect for the points. She balanced perfectly. I said, maybe I just need to give it a touch on the nose. She'll maybe she'll fly better. And I shifted the weight around a little bit and by and by shifting mm-hmm. the weight, I mean I tightened the rubber bands at the back of the wing to You shifted no, the the fuselage forward or back entirely. Yeah, but I shifted, but I did it by tightening the rubber bands coming under the wing. Which I'm mm, thinking, okay. like it did move the wing, but there's a friction of foam on foam. So maybe once the uh, prop wash got going, and there was a bit of, and I chucked it, there was a touch of lift on the wings that maybe the wing was then able to move further and really threw the CG off. 
But that second launch, because I, I wanted to bring her down and, you know, practice a landing and then, okay, now I'll fly it again and make it a little adjustment. But I chucked her, the wind had shifted, there was a cross breeze, so I threw her into it. And mm. I don't, like, I didn't throw her lateral in the breeze, like, threw her head on into it like you should, but something just, she went straight nose up, just as pretty as you please. And, there was no, like, I was nosing down trying, and she wasn't coming down and still going up, and she was looping back towards the tree, so throttle back to zero, so she'd go ahead and flip over, nose down. Right, so she's not going full tilt into the trees. <laughs> right, so, you know, you right. cut. You're like, no, 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 quick, throttle down. Yep, throttle down, Uh-oh, get her to flip no over. <laughs> right. Throttle down, get her to flip over, and... Then she was nose down, but she was only 15 feet up in the air. So I was going to throttle up and try to get some control of her. But I was also, because it, I chucked it and she went straight up. Well, I was only 15 feet away from my car. Uh, So she went straight up (laughs) and the car was behind me. So when she flipped nose down and started coming down, that immediate snap decision of I could try to save it and pull out of it. But if I go the wrong way, I'm driving the, I'm taking it into my car. And so I just kept right. throttle killed and she went straight nose into the asphalt, which, yeah. you know, there's damage on the nut now, <laughs> which is fine. It's yeah. just, you know, it's the it's paint chipped and dented. Yeah, and... that's. Well, th- think about that. Even if you had to replace it, you're talking about a dollar, dollar fifty and some time to wait versus. Uh, maybe a $300 window in your car or a dent you got to buff out or a paint scratch mm-hmm. you got to repair. And like, it's a relatively new car. So, you know, that's the last thing you want to have to deal with all because you're like, I want to save my $20 plane. <laughs> no, yeah. you, you made the right choice. It, uh, as much as it was not, it was not a desirable flight. That, that flight lasted all of the five seconds it took for it to come out of my hand, nose up, cut throttle. And then, straight down so the tail section of fuselage uh the foam gave way the only thing that kept the tail glued on it seemed was the tape that i had put on the underside to protect the belly from being wet if i did do a grass landing and the push rods connecting the tail section to the servos uh so that's got to be rebuilt at this point but the fuselage at least but I'm kind of to the point that I'm not sure if I'm going to mess around uh, with that again, or if I'm not going to just put that on hold and move on to another project and come back to it. Mm-hmm. You know, at a future yeah, try date. a different plane. Mm-hmm. Like, worst I, comes to worst, you could always rebuild the fogey and put it I in could. there because you know that will definitely fly. It flies well. It's a lot of fun. You can get more comfortable with, you know, Flying and landing and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can always do that, or you could aim at which I, my thought you should always have that thing around just because it's so easy to beat around and have a good time with. Um, but yeah, I, I urge you to continue to try new, you know, new projects, new builds. Yeah. You know, I know you, it's, you'll have fun with it. It's something I got to spend an evening contemplating and you know, do I, I want to. Mm-hmm. Like it's just rebuild the fuselage and tail section, and then glue everything back together. But do I want to mess with that some more, or am I ready to move on to something that's 
you know, rebuild the fogey to have my, my trusted or move on to a Spitfire yeah. and just come back to. Because you and I talked about how nice Spitfire is, and I commented in the past that a Spitfire was something I wanted to build. So. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I really didn't expect it to be as, I'll call it beginner-friendly a plane as it as it ended up being. Mm-hmm. You know, now fl- flying it, having flown it on a three-cell, um, that was still really nice. <laughs> it just uh, it just didn't have as wide a range, I guess, which is okay. I mean, that's to be expected. The motor isn't spinning as fast, right? At all. So you know, it's kind of to be expected. So, but I I'm sure that if you built that, you'd uh, have a really good time. If you built one of those or bought one of those, like was it thousand kV thirteen turn motors or think it's what it is they sell on amazon for awful cheap comes with a terrible esc that works you know again it gets you there uh, <laughs> sometimes they come with uh, props and uh servo for like 20 dollars or something like that yeah. you get you get something like that size um just make sure it's got the 10 inch prop and you'll enjoy flying your spitfire for a while well it does just turn out make sure there's that... vent holes <laughs> make sure there's what now Make sure there's vent holes. Okay. Yeah, for the um, for the excess heat. Yeah, mainly because the ESC does not handle. Uh, there's something about the program of the really cheap ones that it uh, it doesn't handle the excess current well, and it really it heats up far more than it probably should. Somebody did a test and they changed the programming on the ESC itself, like the the hardware programming, and when they did that, the uh the energy management turning to heat was way better. Uh, something about the way it's programmed. Um, and it was not getting nearly as hot. And it still functioned as an e- uh, ESC. So, I mean, it still turned the motor just the way you want. That, that still functioned just the same. Um, so, in that sense, it works out great. But as far as the heat that's put out by that ESC without the other programming, which I don't know how to fix, but um, it, you just go, oh, okay. So it might be something with the cheap versions. Um, but again, they, they work. They get the job done. I've got a ton of them. They work great. Great mm-hmm. enough, you know, to get you there. Well, I think the only thing I would need to do that is a four-cell battery and a higher amp ESC. It turns out the motor that I have is capable of taking a four-cell battery. So, Oh, yeah, oh, that's right. Yeah, oh. yeah, we had that conversation a couple of days ago, but worth mentioning yeah, here. I remember. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and that just means that the motor's going to spin faster uh, because it's getting more volts. But right. the motor can only do so much work, and so there, boy, if you up the cell count, you need to consider reducing the um, motor diameter or the prop diameter. Or the pitch, but I mean, if if it's designed for a ten, four, five pitch, that's about as low as the ten inch props come. So you're really just gonna have to decrease the, the prop size. <clears throat> so what you so you don't overload uh, don't overload the motor. And it's basically I think it's by an inch. Yeah, I'll look at the side of the motor. It's got uh, a little print mm-hmm. on it that says three cell. You know, prop this, four cell, prop that. So I'll have a look at that, and yep. if I need a if I need to order uh, a different prop for when I'm running a four cell battery, I can I can work yep. on that. Good. 
Um, for the listeners who may not have the flight test battery or uh, flight test motors, um, the newer ones have the actual the 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 prop spec on the motor. That's one of the ones you have. Um, just go back to the manufacturer's website on that motor. Uh, most of them have a table, and they will tell you, um, you know what. If you're using a four cell, how big of a prop is too much for the speed controller you have? Okay. Just make sure to double check it before you start linking things up. Because you might melt your ESC or, you know, let out the magic smoke at least. <laughs> so, good. All right. Cool. Are we ready to talk simulators? Yes. I, th I think we are. Um, actually, been flying well. We've been talking a little bit here. Oh, really? Multitasking over there, huh? Uh, something like that. I, look, I'm flying a Bloody Baron. Okay. Uh, FT, because they have FT models in both of the Sims that I'm going to talk about, uh, to, both of the main Sims. Um, and honestly, we, we went through a lot. There's a lot of different simulators out there. Um, but it seemed like over the last handful of years, there's really only been a couple like major ones and again they're sponsored by uh horizon hobby or they're you know by a certain manufacturer i think great plains um was originally the one who made real flight um and i think great great plains went under and they ended up getting um bought out by um by horizon hobby and horizon hobby is now basically making sure that real flight now has all of their planes so when you go buy your their you know, that simulator, um, if you have bought one of their planes, you can sim with it for a long time and get very comfortable with it. And when you go out in the field, you're going to have a very similar experience. So when you get out there, it's not going to be all new. Um, it just may be a little bit different. And that's usually, uh, most people can, can adjust for that difference. And maybe you have more um, obstacles. Maybe you have different flights. Uh, flight characteristics of your field, like you've got stronger winds or, or something like that. Um, but anyway, you can, you can uh, hopefully translate what you learned in the sim and what you got comfortable with, with orientations of how the plane looks in different spots in the sky and how your sticks move the plane around, which I've been crashing into the ground a lot. Um, um, but basically, you can translate that directly into your skills at the field so that when you get there, you're not taking a plane and tossing it into the ground only so that you can just go rebuild one about seconds after you started. Uh, that tends to be pretty discouraging. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it can be. <laughs> I don't, and I think anybody in the hobby too, like anybody who's in it, um, I know it, a lot of us don't want to act, uh, seem like we don't know what we're talking about. When we're new, um, there's a certain amount of like uh, pride um, as well as not wanting to be maybe humiliated or, or whatever. But you have to think that, and it's not everybody, but the majority of the people in this hobby love it. And they're only excited when more people say, I'm interested. How, how do I get to where you are? So... Um, so, you know, don't, don't hesitate to ask questions. If you're there, um, lean on their experience. They will, they will do everything they know how to help you. Um, so, I mean, when you look at simulators to, to kind of bring, bring it back to the topic, 
Um, when you come to simulators, the trick is to like, you know, a lot of people are like, well, why, what's the point? You know, it's like a hundred dollars. Jeez, that's almost as much as a trans transmitter. I can get a transmitter and a whole, you know, setup for that hundred dollars. Like, why would I spend that kind of money? Right. So um, when you think about it, you got to think about like, well, what they are, right. And, and what they're for. So, I mean, what they are is, um, uh, simulated reality, um, of what RC planes are like to fly in the sky. Um, so they basically create a physics model, um, and you, uh, the, the company who has built the simulator had builds models of the plane. So representations of the plane and give it characteristics that respond like real life, or at least as close as they can get. Um, and, and then they basically put it in that environment and then they uh, let, they give you or let you use the transmitters you have right now. I'm using my jumper T16. Um, it's for me, the easiest one to get in here. I've had a radio link forever. I used it for a bit. Um, I think my connection was, my trainer port connection was a bit glitchy. Um, not a knock on radio link, probably cause I dropped it or something. Um, but, um, but you know, once you're hooked in, um, you can use the transmitter used out of the field. And that's kind of one of the important pieces. Uh, you, your goal is to get really comfortable with how you would go out to the field. You want to be comfortable with the transmitter. You want to be, you want to have the profile that you're flying be similar to how you're setting up that, that exact plane when you're out at the field, right? The goal is to have very little difference between what you're practicing on the simulator and what you're going to do when you go out there with a real model that can get very busted um, when things go wrong. Or it can give you amazing joy. And it may give you amazing joy even if it gets busted, like we found out. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so basically, it, it gives you, um, it's trying to give you as accurate a, a simulation as possible of true flight conditions and flight reactions of RC models um, before you get out there. And of course, each of these, each of the ones we're going to talk about, for the most part, they have a variety of aircraft maybe not a wide variety, and sometimes that's not a bad thing, um, but they'll have a whole list of planes. You know, um, like I said, Real Flight will have like all of the real, uh, all of the Horizon Hobby lineup, uh, or if it's not Horizon, I can't remember who ended up buying it, but it was originally Great Planes. So all of the Great Planes, I promise you, were in that simulator when you got it. But there's a whole community in each one of these of people who want to get their plane in there. And I have found on both of these simulators I'm going to talk about, they have flight test planes in there, both of them. So, and that's, I'll call it a, maybe about 80% of the original lineup. So the FT Arrow, the FT Storch, uh, the Simple Soar, it'll have the Bloody Baron, um, and, and a whole bunch of the Explorer, FT Explorer. So again, you can try out what each one of them feels like in the air. Now, remember, they're going to come perfectly trimmed, right? And they're not going to have anything wrong with it, which <laughs> when you build it yourself, like that may happen. And that's the goal, right? When we build it, we're trying to get it square and true and all the surfaces perpendicular so they react like we hope. I don't know, but life is life. And sometimes you're looking away at the cat doing something weird in the corner or something. 
And while you're doing that, the glue is hardening the fuselage at an angle, which you didn't see until now the glue is solid. So without getting a heat gun and trying to redo everything, you go, eh, looks pretty good. Eh, it'll probably be okay. And you take it out of the field. So this isn't going to, simulators are assumed more or less perfect conditions. But what they can do though, is they have simulated weather. So they can give you gusty wind, they can give you light wind, they can have um, rain, they can have uh, basically generally calm weather, but with occasional gusts. Um, a lot of them, almost every single one that I've run into, and one of them is specifically for slope soaring practice, um, is they'll have a slope soaring hill and it'll have that same uh, wind conditions that you have that are, are good for like a slope soaring. They're typically at the tops of hills and it's a very different wind pattern and wind condition set. Um, and when you get familiar with how to do it, it's really cool because if you flight test has a video a number of other people have videos on it. And it, what the cool part is, is without any motors, you can take a balanced plane even a slightly nose-heavy plane, and you'll see these guys, they throw it off their a cliff, and you're like, oh my gosh, you're throwing it towards the water on a cliff. Um, but that's where the wind's coming. And what they can do is they basically, they fly their planes back and forth across a slope without any motor. And they fly it for like, you know, an hour. And it can get going incredibly fast. So you don't think that you have to have these gentle flyers or anything. You can get pretty going pretty fast. Um, they always have planes, they have gliders, they have quads. A almost all of them have at least one or two quads. Um, a lot of them have helis. Um, most of them are not terribly accurate at modeling helis, but they'll give you a sense of it. So to see if you go, whoa, that was cool. Maybe I want more. Um, and we'll go over a couple helis based on other recommendations. I, I haven't checked them out. I'm not into helis. I've got, I, th I think I purchased one really small one. A lot of fun, and I was told I can do a lot of the tricks that helis can do. I'm not that good of a pilot. I'll get there maybe, but uh, but I'll give you a couple of recommendations. You can check it out. Um, and they'll also give you the idea of FPV. Like if you were to put a camera on this model, um, this is what it might be like. Um, so you can kind of get a, a sense of how that's different. And part of the reason why they put that on there is because quadcopters, a lot of quadcopter pilots fly using the FPV equipment. So the per first person view equipment. Um, and so, and, and then the other thing is most of these also have a kind of a, I'll call it a board or a special uh, location where it is set for thermaling. So it's not just gliding and, and or slope soaring, but it's thermaling. So it's learning how to read wind patterns and how to read how a glider reacts as it's going through. And the cool part is, is you can turn on the arrows to indicate how the air is flowing, right? So you can see the clouds moving and can see the arrows indicating the direction of wind. And you can watch your plane fly through those and see how it reacts, which would definitely probably help you, Joe, um, and understand what the heck was going on that day mm -hmm. um, that you were getting kind of you know punched in the nose. Your plane was getting punched around in the nose. Um, oh, and the other thing is water landings. They'll they'll have a bunch of like water boards where you're hanging out on a dock at somebody's lake, um, and most of them they even have a way of you. Somebody may have taken a picture of the field you fly at. 
and done a 360 panorama. And there's a, there's a way to do that. Uh, and then they released it to the wild. And if you download it, you can basically fly at your own field or one just like it. And it's like a, and what they'll do is they'll probably put like an estimate of uh, obstacles. So while the picture is just sort of a picture that's sort of pasted around a, a globe, if you will, um, they will put like uh, reference obstacles so that it looks like you're like, I'm flying over that house, but if I don't pull up in time, I'm, I'm going to actually hit the top of the tree. And they, they, you know, the physics isn't great where you're like, it's going to hit just like you hit a tree, but it's going to hit and say you hit a barrier and it's going to break apart and then you'll kind of reset. So the mm. cool part about it is how can they help, right? It's like, it's about how you view it, right? If my kids look at it and they go, oh, it's a game. And I tell them like, it's not a game. It looks like it, but it's a tool. It's a tool so that when you go out to the field, you don't crash your plane that you just built. So you think of it more like a training tool and it's a training your brain and your muscle memory to know what to do instinctively when things aren't going right in real life. So like Joe and I were, when we were flying together, we each had a moment where we had to choose down and left or down and right. We mm -hmm. instinctively went with one. <laughs> and I think both of us chose the wrong one. Um, although I, I had a couple other moments where I had to choose, I chose uh, properly. Um, like when I was coming at the trees and I did that, uh Oh, uh, you know, the whole moment. That's um, right. But, but, but so the simulators can help you practice that reaction and get you to get it right. So that way when you're out there and you're going, Oh no, um, your body <clears throat> will know what to do as well as it'll help orientations. So the hardest part I have when doing loops and planes, it's uh, like with, you know, you're doing the oval loop or whatever, just fly around just to kind of get a sense, like to understand, am I flying perpendicular to the runway? Or am I flying parallel to it? How far out am I? Am I way out there? Am I close? Um, and then also I find for me out in the field, it's hardest to see, am I going away and up or towards me and down or, or vice versa or towards me and up? So I can't tell, is it going away or towards? And until I start turning, and if I'm, you know, one accident high, that, that could be deadly to the plane. Um, but getting training in the simulator, I, I have a better understanding as to what each of those, what the plane should look like, depending on where it's at. Mm -hmm. So being familiar with that makes a big help. And I know all the heli guys are like, dude, you need to know your orientations because it's easy. You know, a, a heli is basically a, a football with a boom on the end of it. And it's kind of silhouetted no matter which way you look at it. And it's really tough to tell, am I, is it facing me or is it facing away? <clears throat> is, is, is that, am I flipping up, up around or, or what's, you know, what's going on? So um, that's really important. Um, let's see some of the things you might want to look for. So one of the things, okay, well, what would you look in the, oh yeah, we'll talk about flight sims in about a second. Cause I think they both go for both of these, right? Like all of these simulators, these are kind of things you want to look for. Like how does that interface with what you have, right? Do you have FPV goggles you want to use? Can it interface with that? You want to check that, right? 
Um, kind of like when you check with a, a product, does my printer work with this computer kind of deal? Um, it, does this program have a hard time linking up with my transmitter? Or is it easy and people are like, oh, yeah, that one's not a problem? Or is there a lot of help? This transmitter doesn't connect with my stuff. Um, does it need, what does it need to connect? Um, uh, there's two I'm going to talk about. Well, three. Um, one is Phoenix 5.5. Um, and that needs a special dongle because it, it was done kind of uh, created way back in the day when hard keys, hardware keys were the thing. Um, and it kind of stopped being produced just after that stuff started to change or just as it was. <clears throat> uh, Real Flight has something very similar. It's basically a cord, it's a box, it's a button, and the USB connection connects with the thing, and if you can press the button, it means you've got one of these boxes, and if you've got one of these boxes, you're good to go. That means that you got this product from a Real Flight purchase, and it's not some bootleg copy. And I'm just, just trying to make sure that it isn't, you know, one person isn't buying it, making a clone and just sending it out to everybody. In which case, you know, how are they going to market the, pro the next version of the product? How are they going to pay for their people, right? That's kind of important. Um, <clears throat> so does it need a dongle of some sort? Uh, is it still supported, right? Uh, Phoenix 5.5. That kind of went belly up. Again, the, the company went down. Nobody picked the software up. And so the software is no longer supported. Well, the cool part is, is you can download a copy, like an image of that software and install it yourself and kind of at your own risk. You can buy a bootleg dongle off of like Banggood or, or Amazon has a bunch of those things, eBay, um, and get that. And it's cheap. And it allows your transmitter to talk to the game and the game to think, we're good. Let's go. Let's go fly. Mm -hmm. um, it's not supported. You're not. You're not not paying for development anymore. It's okay. It's okay. Um, you want to check? Does it have training programs? I know the two I have. Uh, two I'm going to talk about have training programs. I think even the sim, uh, the the gliding sim has a bit of a uh, training program. Uh, and what kind of training program is it? Is it the one you kind of want? Like, is it going to ghost what you should be doing with what you are? So you can kind of like match it as best you can? Or is it just going to show you stuff and say, this is how to do it. Look at the sticks. We're going to show you those. Like, what's happening here is happening with these stick controls. Kind of compare the two. Watch a lot and try it yourself uh, when you're done with watching this. Um, and also, a lot of people are like, well, I don't want to pay $100 for... A transmitter. Um, and, oh, are there interactive? Are there gates? Is it is it racing? Right. Uh, what kind of contests are there? Are there interactive terrains? Can I uh, use a multiplayer? Is there a multiplayer mode? Are there servers servers I can get on and and hang out and fly with other people? Because um, that that can be a lot of fun. Basically, get together kind of like you we are on Discord and just talk. And while you're talking, you're you're flying all together in the same space. <clears throat> um, mm -hmm. And then, if you don't, if you're trying to think, oh, I don't want to use my transmitter. Um, a lot of people are like, well, but I've got an Xbox controller that should work, right? And all I can say is it, it will work. But what it's not going to do is teach you how throttle control management really works. When you're out in the field, it's going to be very different um, because the throttle stick doesn't have a center on it, right? 
but all of the Xbox controllers and game controllers, they all center back up. So unless you know how to like right. take that out, um, it's going to be very different. Plus, plus they have very different feels to them. The, the gimbals are different. The sensors are different. So, mm-hmm. but I mean, otherwise, I mean, if you have nothing and you want to try, that'll at least get you the idea of left is left, like the ailerons, like when it's going away from you, left and right are the same, but when it's coming at you, it's reversed. Um, so it'll help you get that kind of orientation mind, you know, kind of working to auto. Like right now, I don't even think about it. When the plane's coming back at me, I don't think, oh God, the, the controls are reversed. Although if I fly upside down, all I think is uh, up is, da- no, wait, down is up and up is expensive. And <laughs> <laughs> that's all I can, that's all I think of. Um, it's, I don't know. Uh, so the, and, and sometimes even if, if that's all you have and you want to get into this cause it looks really exciting, you can give it a try. What you're not going to do is you're not going to be training your brain to react properly when you have a plane in the field using your transmitter. And that is the purpose of simulators is to get your mind trained and ready to handle flying an RC plane, how you want it. It's also a great way to test a bunch of new maneuvers you want to try. Like, I'll tell you what, if I tried to do, uh, what is that, where the plane goes sideways across uh, a knife edge? So plane's almost going like 45 degrees sideways across the, the runway. Um, every time I've tried it, I've done it like six accidents high and had to bail out about, you know, 10 feet in. I could try it in the simulator and I can crash it 500 times. I'm not losing any extra money. I'm not even losing a whole lot of time and I'm training my brain on the stick movements I need to do and how long and how far, um, pretty well. So at least it gives me a, 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 a shot when I'm out in the field to give it a try and have success. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get, I mean, that kind of talks about like what they're for and, and what, what we should be looking for when we try to go buy one. Um, and then I guess the next one is to talk about what kind of, you know, what kind of sims are there, right? And I think a lot of that boils down to what's the focus of what you want to fly. You and I talk about planes, right? But there's more than just planes. We talked about gliding. That's a very different type of flying, right, Joe? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's different. Um, and then we, there's there's paramotors out there. And there are like even sims just just for paramotoring um, and quads, quadcopters. That's a huge, that's a huge separate niche, separate market. You have the drone racing league and a D- DCL, a drone championship league, I think, um, and a couple others. Uh, liftoff is a and freerider FPV. Those are those are just four quick programs. I know there's more out there and they're growing every day because it's a, it's a hot part of the hobby and it's new and it's evolving still. Uh, so it's, so it's really pretty exciting, but, um, you know, and it, and that's also a high learning curve. So the Sims really make a difference in success. Um, I know I've sat on Sims and I've just started to get okay with the Sims and it directly translates to how okay I am to fly my little quads around my yard. 
I've been doing okay. Um, but sitting on the Sims and making some effort to, to get comfortable has made a big difference. Um, and then of course there's heli simulators because helis are a totally different animal. They're a four foot whirring blade that can come at you and go away, turn, turn upside down and shoot into the sky faster than you can say, Bob's your uncle, I think as the uh, Australians say. And that one, you think, okay, let's make sure uh, I am at least comfortable with the controls. So if something is starting to go wrong, I know how to either get out of it or at least how to bail out of it safely. Because um, they, they can be pretty dangerous if you're, if you're un, unable to handle it. Let's see. Uh, oh, and then there's the other thing. is like now with your phones basically being mini computers in your pockets. That's right. I'm making sound like an old man. Um, there's a whole slew of them on your phone too. So when you're hanging out at the airport waiting for your flight or something like that, or maybe you're waiting for a friend, you can pull out your thing and play real flight on your phone. Or there's a couple other RC flight sim I really enjoyed because I tried that. Uh, I really liked it because it called out maneuvers and you were, it was there to teach you how to do the maneuver and practice it. It's not the best simulator, but it it taught me what those moves were. Like, I didn't know what an Immelman was or um, a Cuban 8 or any of the other maneuvers. Hammerhead? Like, what are those? I don't know. They're just a bunch of names. No, they're, they're maneuvers. And if you know what they look like and kind of how to get to them, they can really improve uh, your flight and the enjoyment other people get from seeing you fly around at the sky, uh, at, at the field. So let's see. Okay, that's a lot. I know you have one, and I, I really haven't. I'll, I'll go into more detail about the planes, about the two, Real Flight and Phoenix. Um, but there's one more that I'm missing that I know you have a lot of experience with. I'd like to take a minute for you to talk about that. Could you? Yeah, and yeah, that's fine. Uh, so where I learned to fly, uh, it, it was back during high school, uh, but Microsoft Flight Sim, at that time it was, uh, Microsoft Flight Sim 2002. Now they've got newer versions of it, and I went mm -hmm. online, uh, to YouTube as we were doing the research for this to look at the newer ones and see, do they, do they still have the training modes or are they more just games now? Of right. you, know, you get in there, you get a fly plane, they drop you in a cockpit, and off you go. Um, and you can certainly do that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I used to do that uh, when I was doing the flight sim in high school, and we actually had a after school club, uh, the uh, the Aero Club, I think it was um, that we called it, and it was mm -hmm. we just hung out after school and flew simulators in the ROTC room. And yeah, we would, you know, once someone had gone through the, the training process or the training program within the flight sim, then we got into free flight and we had actually managed to link the computers together um, in the ROTC room. So we were actually able land. to go, like see each other as, yeah, we were able to see each other as ghosts on each other's screens. And we oh, did some, awesome. uh, some actual point to point racing in Cessnas. Oh, that's so much Which fun. was... Oh, it was super fun. Um, but yeah, so 
uh, while looking back at, or looking up, some, trying to research a little bit of this, uh, I can say that the newer flight sims do still, or the Microsoft flight sims do still have the the training program uh, that I recall going through. And I think they're still using the same uh, <laughs> training audio. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it was a guy. Congratulations I think it was, I think it was on landing Rod. your plane. I'm Rob uh, Michelson, <laughs> or whoever. It might be him. I I can tell you the the line that caught my ear was, was uh, "Well, hold up there, rocket pants," or whatever <laughs> it was. Oh my uh, god! It was just very reminiscent. <laughs> and yeah, it was like this guy. I think Rod something that they used, and I guess he had a, a flight series or something. I don't know, but they sure. they're using his audio. But uh, it has an in-game flight certification that. Really, at that time we were uh, the it started you in a Cessna, and it walked you through takeoff, you know, climbing, level flight, descending. It it taught you about uh, glide slopes, and you know, you're flying a plane, so you're looking at your runway, and you got your lights that are off to the side of the runway, and I I forget what those are called aside from glide slope indicators, but they're lights mm -hmm. that you utilize uh to set up and tell you if you're on the correct glide slope too high too low right um, or a little tad left and, or tad right yeah right and you you learn about the descent rates you learn about uh stall conditions you know you learn that if you nose up and you don't have enough speed to carry you through then your plane's going to lose lifts going to want to nose down to recover from that and you there's there's a learning center in there that has a lot of information that you know kind of explains a lot of the principles and what's going on it's it's far more like there's a lot of information in there that's not necessarily going to pertain yeah. to rc flight because you know you're talking about the the various instruments on board and you know visual flight rules versus instrument flight rules and you know they've got the the it's been so long but the where you can navigate radio tower to radio tower. They've got specific mm -hmm. uh, dedicated radio towers, uh, VTOL stations or something that you can right. dial into and, and, set, and set the heading you're trying to approach on. Right. And and so if you're training to become a uh, full-scale pilot, uh, some of the hardest parts of that are to get familiar with, and um, I'll call it, uh, I want to say calm. Um but but not panicked by by what happens when you approach uh, different different airports and things like that and how to handle that. Um, there's a lot that that's when you know you have a lot to do as a pilot. Uh, otherwise, you're mostly driving the bus. Um, so like that's that's what it's for is to train that. Obviously, as an RC pilot, that doesn't have a huge. I guess it doesn't have a huge play, right? But but the takeoff and landing thing. I mean, obviously, that's paid off in dividends just watching you fly. Well, when I can manage to take off and land properly, but <laughs> <laughs> what so much of what you've commented on in in the past and in our time together flying, the the principles that I have that I'm trying to carry over into RC flight, which do and don't directly carry over. Um, they do mm -hmm. in flight principles. They don't in that I'm flying controller on the ground 
are principles I learned in an actual flight sim where I'm sitting in the cockpit and flying the plane. And what we've come to realize is that I am more of a scale flyer. I fly the planes the way I understand that you fly a plane properly. I I don't tend to get wild right now. Mm -hmm. Um, You're not banging sticks around. As much as possible, yeah. When I when I come in for an approach and I'm trying to set up a landing, you've seen me swing wide, set up a long approach. I try to set up that glide path coming in, and mm-hmm. you saw it with the with your simple soar. Every time I come in for a landing, I'm trying to. I guess they call it greasing greasing the landing. But mm-hmm, yeah. I come in and I I'm at a, I'm at a certain throttle point. I'm keeping my nose where I want it. I bring it in right before I hit the ground. I cut the throttle and I do what's called the landing flare, which is where I pitch that nose up to spoil and try to slightly set the back of the plane down and then let it drop down onto the front. Yep. With the light foamies that we're flying, it doesn't. <laughs> it's really a little little trans- harder to pull off because uh, there's less momentum to kind of carry you through the flare. I think. Um, yeah, and maybe that's it. I don't. Who knows? But either way. It's not easy, but uh, just the when you try that though, if you do it at the right height, it just it just sets down like a feather. Mm-hmm. If you do it wrong though, it, it gets his tons of lift and lifts way up, and you're like, oh, <laughs> that that's gonna, mm-hmm. uh oh, that's gonna nose down hard. Uh, shoot, and then at that point, because it's an RC plane, you can almost gun the throttle and get some speed and to to make another pass. Whereas like in a real plane. That's probably not a good idea. <laughs> I'm suspecting. It's so there there are points at which you can, even in say the Cessna, you know, if you're coming in for an approach and you realize my approach is off, there there are points where you can say, I can go ahead and pull out of this. There are there are points where you're too far gone and you're just like, Yeah, I can pull like I can pull off the runway and go, but I'm going to tag the runway as I go. I'm still mm-hmm. going to hit it and keep going, do a touch and go. Um, but there there are a lot of principles that you'll learn in a proper flight sim that mm-hmm. they they set the foundation for what is happening even with our RC planes. Um, yeah. I went sidetracked for just a second to tell a story about one thing I did. Um, sure. And anyone who has tried this with, and in your case, something similar with your glider, but you weren't trying to land it. You were just trying to pull out the dive. <laughs> um, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. I took a, in, in the same way, I took a Cessna up to service altitude, which I think was like, it's been so long. It's it might have been like 12,000 12, feet, probably. Okay. Um, it's way up Because you're. Like Cessna's cruise around it, like fifteen hundred feet normal, you know, two thousand feet. That's that's not a problem for them. But I took it up to service altitude, which was where the game said, okay, you know, the air is too thin, you don't have enough velocity, you're going to start, you're stalling. Oh, okay, right, yeah, um, yeah. And so I took it all the way up and flew at an airport runway, and when I was about probably half a mile from the end of the runway, I nosed it straight down and went into a perfectly straight down dive. 
And my intent behind that was just playing around the simulator was I want to see if I can land this plane properly <laughs> doing this this janky maneuver. Uh, mm-hmm. Long story short, I did. Uh, you know, just like, I don't know, 500 feet off the ground, yanked back on the stick, which because of the way the game physics were set up, um, it allowed it to do it. And she immediately just wanted to go almost nose directly up the air. So it was, you know, I was holding the nose down the whole time, you know, the whole dive and then let it go. She nosed up having to hold the nose down onto the runway, deploying full flaps, trying to bleed speed and get her to come on down and stick mm-hmm. to the runway. So I could get the, I mean, real <laughs> physics, there, there are things that are not, accurate because that plane would have the the wings would have snapped clean off i should have never been able to pull that landing off but i don't know it was but it 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 was was a fun exercise yeah yeah and and of course by doing so it you almost like were able to tell yourself like okay i understand the physics of how this flare thing functions and i'll i'll be able to use that especially even in a pinch, to go, oh, crud. And, and then to me, it equates to when the heli guys talk about an auto-rotation, where basically you've lost power, you let the motor spin, then you change the, you basically reverse the pitch and let the momentum of the blade cushion your landing to the point where you slow down mm-hmm. so much that you're hovering, and then you you change the pitch, and then you allow yourself to come down, as the blades are basically slowing uh, from the the now counter counter pitch. But you use your downward momentum of the natural falling motion of an air of the helicopter to basically start the the flywheel of of the the motor plate. And give it that energy, and you basically are storing it in the blades until you get right about to the bottom. And so you're looking at this plane, like, oh my god, that's that's coming right out. That's oh no. And then they just kind of root, switch, switch thing, do the thing, uh, kind of wheel the wheel the plane of that up until, like you said, like a flare. And with that, off they go. You know, they're ready to go. Um, and then they they touch it down like a feather, which is pretty cool. So even without a power, even without power, like you say, oh, well, if I don't have power in my plane, it's a glider, and if I don't have power in my helicopter, uh, I can still touch it down light as a feather. You know, right? So it's a it's a neat it's a neat thing. So um, anyway, good. I want to. Uh, yeah, I would. Li- I, I can talk for hours. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, I love seeing you do that too. I love watching you come down and and flare out the landing and it, you know greasing it, as you said. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing that again with with whatever your next plane ends up being. So I guess that brings us to talking. Let's talk about the plane simulators um, for RC that. Um, I've had experience with. Uh, I think we we talked about. Let's see. We talked about quads. I went through those briefly. I don't have a lot to say except I I've flown liftoff. Um, it'll definitely get you to the point where you can take out your own quad and fly it. Um, just yeah. know that you're going to crash a lot and get used to it. Um, try some racing. It'll give you some incentive. 
Um, heli simulators, let me go through those really quick, just so you have them, and then we'll talk about Real, uh, Real Flight 7.5. They're up to uh, 9 now, Real Flight 9, and it's now owned by Horizon Hobby. Um, so we'll talk about that, and then we'll talk about Phoenix 5.5. But before uh, the heli recommendations, a lot of the heli guys, the simulators they use are HeliX, Absolute Heli RC and AccuRC. I think AccuRC and HeliX tend to be the, the biggest ones. I know AccuRC is available on Steam, which uh, if you're a Steam user, that might be just the easiest way to get it. Um, and, you know, you go on the, the Heli forums and have them help you set up the transmitter so that it's going to be similar to how you would set up a Heli that you might own. Um, and then, you know, go through their tutorials. Uh, almost all of these other tutorials, they have helicopters and and they're, um, not tutorials, the uh, simulators. Uh, when they have the tutorials, they have, there's a big section on uh, heli tutorials, how to take off, how to land, how to hover. Uh, and I think they have a one small section on like, these are some of the tricks you might try. Um, and they have the similar thing for planes, but it tends to be a little bit less. All right. Um, so I think the, the biggest thing with either of these is that it will give you that left-right right left orientation uh, that tends to confuse new pilots with when you're going away and when you're coming back, um, as well as generally giving you an understanding as to how to look at the really tiny dot in the sky and, and from it, from the silhouette, more or less, be able to tell where your plane is going or coming. Um, so, and being familiar with that really makes a big difference out in the field because oftentimes you don't have, you don't have the luxury of like waiting a half a minute to figure it out, right? You know, in about a half a minute, mm. the plane is either going to be in the ground or so far away you can't see it, um, or uh, it's out of battery, in which case, good luck, um, that kind of thing. So, you know, oftentimes you don't really have a ton of time to figure it out. So being familiar with it gives you gives you the time you need to recover from whatever is going wrong if there is something uh, and allows you to bring it back to you safely. Uh, and also the cool part about all of these sims, I mean, every single one of them, no matter how I'll call it uh, small or, or robust they are, um, they allow you to check out different plane types. So they allow you to try gliders and they allow you to try twin engines Big planes, little planes, giant planes. They allow you to try jets. They allow you to try turbines, some of them. Um, helis, quads, all that kind of stuff. So if you want to explore the hobby and you don't have a ton of money, buy one of these and you can explore the hobby at no additional cost. Um, I think they're $99 typically or thereabouts. If you need one with a transmitter, they're usually an extra $80. Uh, they used to have that transmitter was one you could take to the field and fly with. So it wasn't like it was wasted money. Uh, not wasted, but it wasn't like it was redundant money spent. It was uh, something that you could use. So um, real flight, 7.5. It's what I've flown for a long time. It was honestly the only simulator I could kind of get working for a long time. Um, so by default, it was my go-to. Uh, it has a lot of great core planes um, to both commercially available, so like you could buy expansion packs 
and things like that. They obviously have all the Horizon and Great Plain planes as part of the general base library to pull from. Um, and if you go onto the Knife Edge forms, Knife Edge, I guess, was the original manufacturer of the product. So they kind of continued to store the custom-built planes done by users, uh, as well as ones that they put together themselves. Um, there's a ton of really cool custom user designs um, up to like an Avro Vulcan that's probably about 30 feet long. Um, that's what it looks like according to what it drops on the, on the field. Um, there's uh, a dragon lady that... That thing, it almost breaks the sound barrier. It, it goes so darn fast. It goes crazy. I think it's like 400 miles an hour or 450, according to the... Mm according to the heads up display that you can put up on there. Um, it starts telling you like what direction you're heading, how high you are. And of course, like how fast you're going uh, with airspeed and whatnot. And he was just like, what the heck? So it's like at 88 miles an hour or something close to that, it kicks on basically the afterburner uh, that's in the thing. And it goes from like 88 to like 400 in about three seconds. And you can just start seeing the terrain start whizzing by. And of course, you know, you're, you're probably pretty far up there, but like, you start bringing it close to the mountains and stuff. Um, I think one of the things I like about real flight, um, so both of the ones I'm going to talk about, uh, Phoenix and real flight have a large collection in the custom group of flight test planes. If you're into flight test and other makers, um, of planes, and they also have almost all the warbirds, all the jets. So if you want world war one, world war two. So if you don't want, uh, the, SC5, uh, if you want the uh, Camel, uh, was Sopwith Camel, uh, those are like the World War Two or World War One planes, World War Two. So you have the Spitfire, P-38, the Mustang, um, any of the German planes, so you're like any of the Horton wings, um, the Messerschmitt 262, which is one of the first jets, uh, as well as the Zero and the, uh, I'm naming off a bunch of planes, as well as some of the basic ones, like the Texan, which people love that plane. It's a very agile plane. It's slow, but it can speed up. It can do a lot of acrobatics. Um, and I think it's basically like a repurposed um, World War II plane for the most part. And then they have a bunch of jets like Tomcats and you know uh, F-22s and things like that, as well as the Cubs, like simple Cubs. And they even have models with safe on it in the newer models. Um, because 7.5, I think, was before the SAFE system came out. But I know Real Flight uh, 9, um, you can choose models with SAFE and without. So they'll have that built-in uh, kind of auto-correcting uh, intelligence in it, as it were. And it will, you know, a little sister flying just like the, you know, the little simple cub would do. Uh, so you can even test to see the difference between is it worth getting the safe or is it not? How do I set that up? Well, I can set it up and test it. And then when I get it, I can actually just use that same profile that I have my transmitter and just connect it to the model I bought. And you're kind of halfway there, right? Um, so there's a lot of benefits with that. And again, you're going to stuff that flies off the water, stuff um, that's a hand launch. Sometimes it has gear sometimes the gear retracts some of them are really complex where they have flaps they have partial flaps they have bomb drops they have lights they have you know 
just like if you built a custom model and it had all of these features, you want to be able to, to test out how to fly and use those features and not crash your plane. So it's useful to have a plane that has a bunch of extra bells and whistles so that you can practice without crashing, right? So it's good. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, they have a bunch of different settings. So you'll have a water front. You'll have common fields, like a regular flying field. You have those 360-degree panoramic views. They'll also have, like, uh, castles. They'll also have a pylon flying field with... Uh, stands as well as something with hoops and then there'd be a bunch of custom stuff that if you want to download where people put literally just a series of floating platforms and gates everywhere as well as buildings to weave in and out of like you know take your pick i think you and i when you first came over you flew the real flight in i'll call it like a little airfield outside of a construction site near a city yep and you know that's enough there where you can kind of practice weaving in and out of buildings, landing on a, a strip, um, or, you know, you know, going really fast and going through a city or going over top, you know, it, it gave you a lot of options. What, what did you think when you flew that part? Do you think that was silly or did you think I could see this being, being useful? Um, I definitely saw the, the benefit from it. Um, at that time, um, we had not, you, I was not up to speed on how I would be able to get my transmitter connected to be able mm -hmm. to do that, but I definitely enjoyed it. Uh, I had not been flying the, the models yet. I don't recall, did that happen before or after I had gotten my kit from you? Uh, it was probably close to, ah, oh, geez, I think it was either, I think it was right after. Okay. Shortly after. Either way. Yeah. Either way, it it was enjoyable to fly, and I mm -hmm. could I could see where, even at that time, where the benefit to get out of it was being familiar with which way the plane's face and how is it going to handle, and if it's looking at me, which way are my wings going to tilt when I do it? It's I knew it was a training tool at the time. Mm-hmm. Right. As well as it, you know, you can change the wind conditions. Like you can change the weather mm -hmm. conditions. So that way you can, you don't have to um, limit yourself to going, okay, there's no wind today. I can go out and fly. Like if you practice flying in the wind um, you, and you're sort of, okay, now I know what it is. Cool. I, I, I think I've got it in my head. Now I can go out and try it out. In real life, and now all of a sudden, you're the days that you can go out and fly have opened wider. Um, I was kind of like that until I took my simple sore out right before a storm. I think we had talked about this. Um, and you know, I threw it directly in the wind, and it literally the wind grabbed it and just tossed it not just behind me, but behind the fence and behind the car and hit the, the wheat or whatever the heck was growing behind. I think it was probably tobacco. Or or whatnot behind all of that, and I like just took it and just smacked it. It took it in a big loop and just smacked it into the ground. I was like, "Oh, that sucks!" Like I didn't expect mm. that's the first thing that would happen the second it released from my hand. And it's because it was gusty and windy, <laughs> and I just released it at 
And I was I was releasing it like I would on a calm day, where you're like 75% throttle, you know, easy on the elevator and kind of get ready and just, you know, toss and, and let it let it go. Like, no, it's really windy. You throw full throttle and you heave it into the wind if you can. Or maybe just let it go. Let the wind take it up. You know, and don't even worry about throwing it. Just let the wind do it and, and throw it at 45 degrees to the wind maybe. But, like, you can practice that in the sim and be comfortable with it so that way you can go out on those days and go, okay, I'm going to bring the plane and can handle it, and then we're going to have fun. As opposed to be going, oh, my God, what's going on? My plane is going to crash in two seconds. It's going to be terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of, oh, my. Although it, then, I, then I switched my brain. I switched and went, oh, this is like slope soaring because I had practiced it in the sim. And I was like, oh. And I also watched people online. Like I watched YouTubers who that's their flying site. They love slope soaring. And they literally live like near the cliffs in some New Zealand town or something like that. And they just, you know, drop it off the cliff and glide around back and forth. And it looks great. I'm like, oh, it's like that. Okay. So I started flying my glider like that in the wind. And granted, it was a motorized glider and I was you know, cranking the motor. But I was able to fly back and forth across the field uh, like it's slope soaring. And it was a lot of fun. And I, I stopped kind of panicking that this wind is going to take my plane and take it 40 acres behind me where I'm never going to get it. So it was pretty cool. Um uh, Phoenix 5.5, I'll call it, it's, it's very similar. I think the graphics are, to me, they're more pleasing. Like I felt like rear flight was at the time a little bit more blocky and rear flight is probably more realistic with the, the gloss and the, the pretty, um, the flight physics seemed to be about the same. I think, um, it's more sensitive to crashes than real flight, but I think you can set that. Uh, the training program in that one, instead of uh, having examples to fly by and then you sort of match up with the arrows or the guidelines they give you, which is what real flight does for, I think it's only takeoffs and landings. Still really helpful because that's the kind of scariest part. Uh, Phoenix just sort of has... Like they have tutorial videos, so they they show you what the sticks are doing, and they show you how the plane is going, and it's basically on an endless loop, so you can keep watching it without having to touch anything, and just keep watching, so you pick up each piece of it. Um, but what I didn't see was a way for you to play alongside and do your best to match what the tutorial was showing you. Um, mm. Now, what Phoenix did that real flight I didn't see do was Phoenix also has a vast tutorial on maneuvers. So it goes over all the, I'll call it standard maneuvers. There's probably about 15 of them about what a knife edge is, how to do it. Cause again, it's that same kind of tutorial where they're showing you the sticks, they're showing you the plane. They're and then there's a brief conversation about what's happening and why, and like things to watch for, which is really helpful. Um, so as a tutorial, it's, you, you're not doing it alongside, but you're able to still do it. Um, and both of those games have, have challenges in it. Um, I think both of them have like levels. Like if you keep, keep doing these challenges and succeeding, you're going to learn these techniques you need to do, like landing on a spot 
and then making the spot smaller. Like as you get better, you're going to, the spot's going to get smaller and smaller. So in part, think of it like I want to land in front of me every time. I'm not looking to run across the runway and the whole field to go find my plane. Like I'd like to land it right in front of me every time so I can just walk out, grab it, and come back. Um, the only way to do that is to practice landing it in front of you. So each of those has kind of like a spotlight. And I think that's one of the competitions. Like when you go into the AMA competitions, um, that's one of the pieces or components of it. Um, uh, they usually have a balloon pop. Um, they'll usually have things with gates um, where you basically run through the certain gates and come back and, and land. And most of the time you can do those either FPV or you can do them standing on the ground. Now I'll promise you, from the viewpoint of the ground, it's way harder than FPV uh, going through those um, going through those loops or gates. Um, and there's a bunch of challenges like that. So both of them have very similar aspects in that way. Um, one of the things that Phoenix came with was a plane builder. So if you had a custom idea, you can build it simply, and I call it simply, but there's a method that's, easy to follow. And if, um, I'm trying to think of, uh, I, I don't have the one um, in my head right away, but, uh, there's a, there's like a steam game. That's like a, a playing game and you, you can build your own planes and it's similar to that, but it's done and put into the Phoenix modeling simulator. So you can basically test your model before you go and build a custom version of it and hope it flies. So it might help you find out where your CG is, um, if you build it accurately to what you're envisioning in your head. So you can use that nice. as well as them. You know, there's some guys they put, um, if you're like me, I grew up watching Robotech and Macross and all that stuff that came from Japan when I was a kid in the eighties. Um, so there's a whole group. He built like five or six of these Macross planes from all these movies and they're beautiful planes. Um, they're just gorgeous. And you know, they're, they're, uh, vectored thrust um and they're high interest they look like f-22s you know in that sense and they they're a lot of fun to fly and so if you go into the custom builds you can you can probably find any plane you didn't think you had and if not there's at least a plane builder for you to build something that you don't see which is pretty neat and and that's the hardest part i think for me when i look at real flight real flight has a great collection of flight test planes but it would it would have been nice while I was using like well as learning, you know, years ago on Real Flight, um, to be able to throw a couple of ideas in there and build them because I was going to build them in real life, and at least understand where the CG was and and see how they flew and see if it was worth even going further. And Real Flight didn't really give me an easy option, um, whereas Phoenix seems to have that kind of thing. Uh, built in and available to the user as part of the download. So, um, and I think the other thing to talk about is if you really are into gliding or slope soaring, uh, there's a game called PikaSim. It's not uh, a game, it's a simulator called PikaSim. And it's primarily for slope soaring. There's um, a limited number of models, although I think it expands when you give it. I've only tried the free version. But it does a pretty good job that feels very similar to real flight on slope soaring, where you have a model and you're literally 
uh, one of their games is there's posts on either side of you, and your job is to fly back and forth 20 times between the posts. Because if you can do that, you could probably slope soar anywhere. So it's a great training tool, even though it's supposed to be, it, it's set up as kind of a game. Like, who can get through the 20 fastest? And you ding, 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 and you keep going back and forth, and it's not easy. 20 times back and forth without mm -hmm. crashing for a new guy, especially new to slip soaring, let alone flying. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. that wasn't easy. <laughs> um, but, I t but I learned a lot. Like, I learned a lot about slip soaring and kind of the angle and what you can get away with and what you're going to, like, what you can't. And at what point does that, uh, at what point does that lift pocket end? Because that's part of it. Like the air is compressing and it's creating additional speed. And with that, and it's also kind of going upward. So it's giving lift to the plane by both the speed and the actual direction. But at a certain point over the lip of that slope, you're losing all of the benefits. And now you're kind of stuck gliding down and trying not to crash it with no, right. no power source. So it's not like you can just recover. So it's, it's pretty neat. And it also gives me a greater appreciation for those people who obviously they're expert slope flyers and they're just like, wow, look at that. I think that's, I think that covers everything. I'm, I'm looking through our notes just to be sure that um, the stuff on your phone is usually done with a tilt. So what you're not going to get is you're not going to get any kind of control muscle memory, but it will help you with right to left and it will help you with orientations. Um, like I said, the one sim helped call out maneuvers. Like the only way you could pass the next board is if you completed one of the maneuvers a couple times. So outward barrel roll, inward barrel roll, uh, a, a tight roll, a loop, outward loop, cubinate, hammerhead, that kind of stuff. Start going through. <clears throat> so it, it was it was pretty cool. It's pretty useful. And I very much enjoyed playing it. I, it wasn't the best as far as a simulator. And it was hard to control. Um, but it did have that benefit. That I, I, other than Phoenix having the list of tutorials, I really haven't seen from any of the other ones, any other sims. And I think with, with that, I think it kind of closes. Do you have anything to add? Um, no, I mean, I kind of covered what I needed to with flight sim and, mm -hmm. uh, you've info dumped a ton on simulators. So yeah. And <laughs> again, it's aware of all that. <laughs> I suppose. Um, it was, I think it was originally just me trying to find a simulator that would work with my radio link. And what I turned out was the problem was I think the connection's bad in the darn uh, transmitter itself. And at the time, I wasn't willing to open it up and try to figure it out. I'm like, no, I'm not opening it up. Um, yeah. <laughs> right? So in an effort to find something different, um, uh, yeah, I looked I looked out uh, for these other things. And I was surprised that Phoenix kind of went the way of the Dodo. Um, it's a great program. And again, I know there's more. And if you're a listener going, shouting out, please, what's this other one? Like, why don't you know this one? Like, shout it out, man. Let us know. Uh, give us an email. Um, 
We would love to hear what other simulators are are there. And I would love to be able to tell our list, other listeners who are maybe thinking like, I want to be able to get into this quickly and simply and I'm like for almost nothing. Like I said, there's like an FMS. I couldn't get that to work. Um, RC desk pilot. I also couldn't get that to work. And maybe it's because windows 10 changed a lot about it. Um, simple planes can do something, but that's more of a game kind of first person thing that's available on steam. But the cool part is you can build your own plane. Um, and that's a lot of fun. And that's very similar to the uh, Phoenix Builder. Um, but I found that all of those, like, again, RC Desk Pilot, if you do end up getting that working, same with the FMS, um, it's a really, I'll call it a pretty crude version. It's, uh, you know, polys that teach you how to fly. You know, they're, mm-hmm. they're going to get you there for the basic orientations and the general feel on stick movements versus uh, translating it to plane movement. But... It's uh, the the Phoenix and in real flight seem to be kind of the leaders. And again, at this point, it's pretty much real flight, um, real flight nine, I think now. Um, on that's really the go-to one. And I, again, I'm sorry for all of the makers and developers of other simulators that I haven't seen. Um, and if you aren't there, please get yourself heard. Uh, the, the rest of us would love to have. Uh, maybe competition to real flight. Well, in working on closing this episode out, Matthew was currently on your workbench. <sighs> workbench. Um, as it has been, uh, maybe I'm afraid of the Viking. I don't know. I have to finish the Viking landing gear, the rear landing gear. Um, I found a set of a full set of landing gear. And so I'm probably going to install the retractable steerable nose gear from that because it'll be simple. Although I really do want to build, finish building what I had thought out. Um, I don't know why I'm, I, part of it has been a busy week with the beginning of school and all, but, um, yeah. but I've also, you know, I've 3d printed a couple retractables and I'm excited to kind of install those in planes and see how they hold up. Um, uh, really, my workbench is probably just uh, landing gear and trying to get my kid, uh, my oldest, to build. Um, he had bought a vector, FT vector, Mighty Mini vector, I think is what they called it, um, at Flight Fest last year. And, and I've been kind of enticing him to try to build one. Uh, otherwise, I think the only other things that are going to be on my, are, my build thing are older projects that I'm going to pull out a mothball and see if I can finish bird of time being one and any number of the fantasy builds. I think I submitted. Jeez. I think it was like, uh, 10, um, new models. Uh, so any, any of those that didn't finish, I'll probably dust off at least one of those and start getting at it. Okay. What about you? What are you going to work on? Um, I'm not entirely sure just yet. Again, the fuselage for the Simple Soar is going to have to be rebuilt. Uh, or mm-hmm. I know that I could just, like, glue and tape and reinforce, but you, you, you could knowing me, I will one. probably, yeah. But also knowing me, I know I'll probably say I'm going to rebuild that fuselage. 
But uh, <laughs> if I don't do that, then I'll probably print out the plans for the Spitfire and go ahead and work on getting that built. Okay. Once, you know, take that one out. Give it a try. And if that one fails, then I will return to my trusted old bogey that I know I can fly and have a good time okay. with. Well, all right, we're going to work on getting out of here. Uh, Matthew, I want to thank you for doing a lot of the heavy lifting on the research needed for this episode. That's okay. And we also want to thank all of you for tuning in and listening. As always, feel free to write in and let us know about projects that you're working on and what you've been flying. And until next time, fly safe.